That is getting you to breathe with both lungs, scripture and tradition, which is the word of God. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to EKSB, Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave, too hot to handle, too cold to hold, Van Bickle. How are you doing today, Dave? How long did you have that one written? Uh, like, maybe 20 minutes. But it's written down, so it counts. Okay, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. It's so nice here in Pittsburgh right now. I bet it's I bet it's already swelteringly hot in Houston. Yeah, yeah. And when I wake up in the morning, my, my iPhone is like, Good morning. It is 71 degrees. The high today will be 99 degrees. You're like, <laughs> oh, gosh. What has happened oh, to gosh. us? What has happened? It's like a cool, nice breeze, like a nice, dry, cool breeze here right now. Oh, bless you. Uh, bless you. Yeah. Yeah. But things are going well. You know, we're chugging away here at the parishes, trying to bring these two parishes together here in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, it, all the same things that you would imagine the difficulties would come with, you know, combining two parishes and, some of some of the heartache and things like that involved, but like people, I've been so impressed how like people are just genuinely digging in. They're being very vulnerable with each other. They're speaking the truth, but they're also listening to what other people have to say. And and we're making progress finally. You know the uh, the parishes are finally starting to come together. So you're like a blended family. It you is. Got to figure out how it the is. half brothers and half sisters are going to get along. It is. We're like the Brady bunch. We're like the Brady bunch. And, uh, it, you know, we, so it's interesting. So I will do like, like this Thursday, I'm going to start a series on Mary five weeks with the mother of God. And it's every other week I switch parishes. Oh, that's cool. It, which is, it's confusing though. It's, <laughs> it's like so confusing, but it's, it, you know, it's been interesting to, you know, just to have that, that dynamic there. That's awesome. I, uh, I always look at my community, which is very transient when summer comes. A lot of people leave for like a month oh, really? on vacation, right? Wealthy community wow, okay. in Texas. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. it's a bajillion degrees. You want to go right. north, right? Okay. Go north, young man. And so uh, go north, rich man. So you got people here who've got like, yeah, you know, second homes or they got in-laws or, you know, family. And they just head to, to cooler climates. Um, so our church really heavily revolves around the school year rather than the calendar year. Right. Uh, I mean, I lose a huge, a noticeable percentage in all of our masses, all that stuff because of vacation. Wow. So long story short, this is my planning time. Right. Typically. Right. Unless, you know, there are fires that have to be put out. And so with the planning time, one of my main things that I want to do was look at our RCIA program. And my big thing is to write like two or three page things that resources that kind of go alongside what they're studying. So it complements the class lecture and the reading materials and the community experience. And I was, I've been really um, set back by Bishop Barron's comment. If you don't know Israel, you don't know Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Yeah. And so uh, I think I mentioned this before, but my goal is to really to do an excellent job using, you know, like Han and, and uh, Jeff Caven's covenant approach to salvation history. Okay. So they can really understand that, but really get them to understand Israel. Right. Why the Mosaic Law, why the Deuteronomistic history, why King David and the son of David and what all that matters for when you talk about Jesus. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I want to really get into the proclamation of the kingdom by Jesus. Cool. Because I've come to discover that oftentimes when Catholics talk about Jesus, it's always through the lens of St. Paul, right? 
and it's it's like let's understand why he died for you and we go right to that it's almost like it, it's because of historically it's because of the creed right right the creed right. goes from right. the birth of jesus right to his death right and it doesn't talk about that middle part and the reason why we don't talk about that middle part is no one disputes whether or not jesus talked about the sowing of the seed and you know all that stuff right and the creeds came about because of the, the disputed questions, right? Right. So, right. Um, and in the mass, we pray the creed because we got the gospel right alongside it. And so they balance each other out. But when your catechesis is based on the creed, you have a huge problem because you're leaving out that whole gospel middle part. So I want to, I want to, I want people to be memorizing why uh you know the the proverbs of christ and uh or not the proverbs the parables of christ and all that stuff and understand how it relates to the kingdom cool you know? so cool that's that's kind of that's kind of my struggle right now and then but then there are more fires than i anticipated so looks like that's on the back burner <laughs> we are always bound to take care of those things i know right um i, know. I was t- when you told me about that that you're redoing your rca stuff i was like telling amber my wife like how jealous i was that because we're in we're in such a like a tenuous place here, bringing these parishes together that I just I have no time to, to like redo anything right now. Yeah. So I'm like pulling pulling talks out of the bullpen like left and right, you know, and stuff like that because <laughs> I and I, I I long to do some research like that, but I but anyways I'll be I'll be excited to see what your the fruit of your summer is. So today we're talking about something really important, okay? And uh, I, I know I say that every week, but here's here's the truth. Like if this is like the the life of an evangelist, it takes a certain kind of life to be an effective evangelist. Okay. And throughout history, we see this over and over again that through the history of the church, the most effective evangelists are those who are steeped in the word. And so what we're talking about today is kind of that uh, the fact that evangelization is the fruit of encounter, meditation on study of sacred scripture that in, that evangelization is kind of you know what i've been using lately is an overflow of what's in your heart because of our given overness right our our total commitment to bathing in the word of god to just totally and completely submitting our mind to the word of christ and i think that for many people um uh, in the church i i was writing about this like last week you know i was thinking about this that I, in the last like two months, I've encountered like four or five people who have the only way I would describe their faith is like a comprehensiveness to their faith, mm. meaning that it was clear to me that they were comfortable with every important aspect of their faith. They had, wow. they were comfortable with the scriptures. They're comfortable with the different things that people wrestle with. They had a, they had a good handle on the scriptures. And I think that's like a really important place to get to in our Christian life because in the word of God, right? I mean, that's what we're here to do is proclaim the word of God. And we can't proclaim that unless we're absolutely have some level of comfort with it. And so that's that's the that's the theme for today is talking about how to break open those scriptures and and to really live a life revolving around meditating on the scriptures so that evangelization will overflow from that. And go around, you know, this is kind of your thing, to be honest, you know. When when I always see you prepare for talks, you always have the the study Bible, yeah. you know, and you're like reading everything, and you got the talks, you know, the scriptures, you know, printed out. Whereas I I I never start with the scripture; I usually add them in, which is terrible, right? It's like proof texting. <laughs> but I go with like you know, I'll try and find a story that re, you know that reflects my point, and then I'll go back and you know add the scriptures in. But really, this is the way it should be: is just expounding on the scriptures 
in daily life, not just for the next talk or the next conversation you're going to have, but expounding on the scriptures in daily life so that they can take fruit in our apostolate. Yeah. The, the biggest problem that I have with Catholic talks is they are constructed thematically, right? Which is fine. Yeah. And then you, people take great. Go ahead. Go ahead. Rip apart. Yeah. 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 So this, the greatest thing I have with Dave's talks, Dave, too hot to handle, too cold to hold talks, uh, is no, you see this all the time. They spend so much time crafting the narrative story of, you know, whether it's sharing their own story, their own testimony, or honestly, just sharing a funny story in order to establish rapport in the and that all that is important. You know, I tell people all the time, if you're going to do evangelization in a group setting, you need to study comedians just as much as theology because the temperature of the room matters, yep. right? And how you make people feel matters. People disagree with me all the time. but um, Well, that's what that's who they hire, though. That's what they want. Right. And so what ends up happening is you have these people who give like a 20-minute funny story, a two-minute bridge, and then a five- or six-minute Jesus lesson with some proof text scripture thrown in. So I hate, as a speaker, I don't know if, if you're the same way, I hate it um, when people say, like, just talk about what you love to talk about. Like, come, like, you can talk about whatever you want. I don't want to talk about whatever I want because that's my mission. That's not your mission. You're hiring me to help your mission. Right. Like, I view myself as an outside speaker as merely a catalyst to your mission. So, yeah, I have some talks that I do and I have stuff like that. But if you're like, we're really struggling with the idea of, mary and how to put her in our like appropriate catholic context to correct misunderstandings abuses weird devotional things that crop up and you know all this stuff but how do we make mary the center of evangelization mother of the church whatever and so when you start to go through this what i do is i take the theme and then i look for the scriptural narrative around it and then base my talk on where the scripture develops with the theme the scriptures will talk about a bajillion different things. So the idea is if I can walk you through 10 verses of scripture with how it applies to this theme or situation, I feel like I've let the word of God speak, not just Michael right. Gorman. That's speak. the power. Right. And I do all the things right. Right. You establish rapport and all that stuff. But the idea, like you kind of hinted at it <laughs> where you said it steps away from proof text. Right. The danger of proof texting is when you take a, a scripture from its context, you wrench it out of that in order just to back up your point. Sometimes the the, the ability to prove text is necessary, like to because it shows that you know what you're talking about. Like, oh, in Matthew, blah blah blah, it says this. But the idea is, I don't just want to quote to you Matthew 16. You know, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Right. I want to talk about how the kingdom of David anticipated the church kingdom and what Christ did. So you you develop these themes within Scripture so that people see the narrative thread running across, how it applies to that particular thing, right? And so you can't do that unless you're reading scripture. No, and regularly reading it, right? Yeah. That's the one of the biggest issues is that people often spiritually and academically prepare for whatever their next retreat or talk is, which obviously we're all going to do. Yeah. But there, that is going to show a kind of a, a shallowness, you know, to that. Whereas you can see the depth of people who are regularly diving into the scriptures and then we're getting the fruit of maybe years and years of that. Yeah. I always remind people that when I, when I, I used to do some trainings for life team when they would come to the Houston area and you'd have these youth ministers and core members. And I always tell them this, every word of scripture is anointed. It, it already is. It's already inspired, inerrant and infallible. 
but not every word of Michael Gormley are, <laughs> is anointed by God. So the the best thing I can do is mediate to them the scriptures and step back and let the word have its way in their hearts. Let them wrestle with it. Um, but I can't do that unless I'm reading it, studying it, and praying it. I, I always use those things like in triple effect, right? What's the difference between reading and studying? Uh, reading is you're going through, you're identifying with the story, you're becoming competent in the story that each part is telling. Studying is you're actually going to scholarship and the saints, uh, especially the fathers of the church, and you're asking them to interpret it for you and with you, right? So studying is the task of interpretation. So reading is the task of identification and observation. Studying is uh, interpretation. And then prayer is the most important part because you can do both of those in prayer. And prayer makes those other ones all the more sweeter and more effective. It's really about application. And um, when you step back and you stop proof texting, you can actually let your talk, like let's say you're asked to give a talk on, you know, chastity or something. You can let the scripture verses move you in a way that just your words alone couldn't. And just writing your, even if you come up with clever points and you have wisdom and insight, scripture is God's words, not just words about God. And so that can change things. That changes the dynamic and the temperature of the room and the way people hear things. But the problem is in Catholic circles, we will paraphrase a verse or two in a horrible way, <laughs> in a way that bends it to our to our argument. Right. Right. Oh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I do. I do it all the time. It's terrible. I was about to say, I do too, but I did maybe. <laughs> I, I used to do this stuff all the uh, yeah. yeah. Like as a youth minister, you're trained to like, I know the catechetics. Yeah. I don't necessarily know the scripture. So I'll be like, oh, yeah, like when St. Paul talks about, you know, you yeah. throw something out there that's paraphrased. But the idea is your meditation comes. It's awesome when a talk is a meditation and when that meditation is the fruit of reading, prayer and study. Right. And so that that's what I want evangelists to understand. Like, why let your words or philosophers and theologians have the final say? You can step back and let God's word win the day. So, you know, there, there's a great phrase. I think it might have been the Baptist Charles Spurgeon who said it, but it, it's like uh, defending sacred scripture is like you're at a zoo and you have a caged lion and you're defending the right. lion. Just right. open up the cage and the lion will defend itself. And I really do feel like in a lot of ways, uh, now there are some prejudices that certain audiences will have, the new atheist, young adult, um, uh, high school student audience. You need to prepare them for receiving the word. But yeah, I mean, open the cage, man. Let it out. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny, like so many times when I've prepared talks and then like I'll find like the best verse, you know, for the talk. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I'll go and read it and be like, oh, that didn't mean anything what I had, <laughs> you know, used it for. It's, it's terrible. You know, you feel like such an idiot. But yeah. but, you know, one of the things that I do is and I think like I'd love to get your take on on this is um, I have regular ways that I'm continually going deeper into the word. So like I really heavily rely on like the Navarre Bible commentaries I use and and don't kill me here, but I use a lot of Barclay's Bible commentaries. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, Barclay, for those of you who don't know out there has phenomenal Bible commentaries, but he, um, he's, he's Protestant, one of our Protestant brothers. And he, I think he denies like 
miracles. I think he doesn't believe in miracles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think he's a secessionist. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the but he, has but he this. has a lot of um, and I think uh, Fulton Sheen was the one who said that. Uh, you know, there's just as many uh, mistakes in Catholic commentaries on scripture as there are in Barclays. So, <laughs> so I started using that. I always. Oh, that's right. That's the one that Sheen recommended. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. He right, did. Right, and and you can tell if you know Barclays uh, Bible commentaries, and then you listen to Sheen. Uh, you're like, oh, you took a lot from him. But um, yeah. so I use those regularly. I I also use very regularly the fathers of the church. So that's one of the first things I do when I'm reading scripture is I figure out what the fathers of the church said about that scripture. Um, because I wanna I wanna think with with the church on that on that uh standpoint and see what the boundaries are. And what you'll find is that you might think that that limits what your your meditation or it limits your uh study. But really, it really drastically opens it up because what you see with the fathers of the church and with any good theologian or any any really faithful person is that there are there are way more possibilities than you would have imagined in interpretation for this stuff. Uh, and so the fathers took very creative ways of looking at that. And and just as a disclaimer, I'm sure you all have fa- favorite authors, favorite Catholic authors. Reading the fathers of the church will destroy them in your eyes because most of what they say has been stolen completely from the fathers of the church. I, that has happened with like four authors where I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever read in my life. He must be a mystic. This is incredible. And then I realize all of it's from the fathers of the church. Uh, <laughs> the other day um, I bought Bishop Barron for, I think it was for Christmas. I got his four hardback uh, Christian classics from his website oh yeah I, yeah i saw him what, what uh, well i've been reading saint augustine's confessions because i i've read parts of his confessions i've never read them all the way through uh and i read the parts that were like recommended you know like read a little here read a little there and um i i never liked the translation i remember uh dr peter crave saying they're the most famous translation is a guy named pine coffin and yeah his last name describes the type of translation it is a dead yeah. thing and a wooden thing right and everyone had recommended frank sheets but i had never read it i've never found it and then that's the one that bishop aaron used and oh my goodness it's not only readable it's beautiful and when you're reading it you you just keep sitting there and he'll do things like uh you'll read one page and there's all these footnotes and you're like what are these footnotes right there's nothing like quoted he just in his prayer will grab psalms and just weave them through because he's praying them every day that his prayer and the prayer of scripture and the prayer of the church are just one right, that's thing awesome. and that's the that's why these men and women of the time but that's why these people were giants in catholic theology because they were they were they had memorized most of the bible if not all of it they were immersed in it not just in their philosophical schools of thought and things like that so a big thing for for us now I, I don't read scripture as much as i would love to as much as i want to um but one of the things that has been really huge in my life is sitting down both with a god you know reading through a gospel i basically do like a gospel a week instead of a gospel a day sure um but you sit down and uh you can do galatians in a day or colossians or ephesians you can do those in a day you can do those within probably with it on your lunch break and once you read them through, the reading and the familiarization of it gives you the ability to pray it. And then when you're reading the fathers, it just makes it so much more powerful because they're then taking theological concepts and weaving them into the scriptures. But I do want to say something, Dave, that made me happy. Um, 
in you you said the word uh when i do prison ministry they say that all the time are you you steeped in the word bro are you in the word and what they mean by that is the physical page of the bible right the pages of scripture but the Catholic Church, Dei Verbum, the Word of God, means right. both Scripture and tradition. Tradition, right? And so uh, when you said, you know, we got to go deeper into the Word, and then you said, that's why I use a Navari Bible commentary. The Navari Bible, for those of you who don't know, takes the fathers of the church, right, and takes quotes and and whatever, and right. weaves them into the commentary. So there's like, you know, two verses, and then yeah, you know, the rest of the page is commentary, and it's brilliant and it's wonderful. I love it. Um, it's not academic analysis even though i think the fathers of the church nailed it in a lot of ways but um that is getting you to breathe with both lungs scripture and tradition which is the word of god you're reading it from the heart of the church and that is one of the best ways to prepare for a talk ever 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 yeah and i yeah and and you can do the same thing with the catechism right you read a topic and then you look up all the verses that was you that they were that are used and i promise you you'll be surprised it, the verses that the church uses to to work in that sp- specific topic because um you know, again we continually limit scripture whereas when you're steeped in scripture it continually opens up to us it continually opens up absolutely so uh for those of you who are preparing let, let me just give you a, a practical for instance in how i do this stuff yeah um so i'm a speaker for the Steubenville youth conferences uh, i had a massive conversion at the Steubenville youth conferences when i was younger I love them. I will always do them. If they will have me, I will do them. Um, and I'm going to Steubenville on the Bayou, which as a youth minister, I used to take teens to and all this stuff um, back in the day. And so the cool thing about this right now is they send you their thematic development. So we get this thing and it's going to go through all the talks and all this. And at the end of it is filled with scripture passages and catechism references stuff. But uh, so it has the scripture passages that they drew their talking points from. So they give you bullet points so that every talk across all their many conferences are similar, but they also give you enough breathing room that you as a speaker can put your own touch to it. So what I do, the first thing I do is I get the talk title and the key objective, and then I sit down with the key scripture points, and I just pray for those. Pray with them. I read the surrounding context. And that becomes the fruit of my meditation for, or the focus of my meditation for probably a solid week. And then at the end of that, I'll scan through all their key points that they list out, not just the the main objective, but all the key points, the things that they want to make sure the youth minister or the speaker is hitting on. And then I'll say, okay, these scripture passages develop this this way, not here's my talking points. Here's where I can throw in some scripture. It's Here's the scripture that they prayed through and figured out, like, yeah, this is really good. This is how it shapes the theme. And I'm telling you, having a talk that you have prayed about, wrestled with, not just that you crafted, but that you let the word of God help craft is a different type of talk. It's preaching, not just teaching, or it's teaching in and through the tradition and and word of God, not just the artful skill of Michael Gormley. And that is part of, since it's the Holy Spirit, if Scripture is God-breathed by the Holy Spirit, you are preaching in demonstration of the power and authority of script, of the Holy Spirit. You're letting the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting, and that's powerful. What do you got for me, Dave? You're holding the book here. No, no, I, no, I, I, do, a, I do a very <laughs> similar thing, you know, preparing. Um, and one of the things that I do often is, uh, you know, I'll have a Scripture or Scriptures ready for a talk to prepare something, and... 
I always pretty much try to cut it in half, no matter what it is. So I'll be like, okay, I'm going to talk about John chapter one. And then I'm like, no, that's so broad, right? Because you think about it at first and you're like, well, is that going to be enough to talk about? But the more you think about it, the more you realize like, oh no, it's way too much. And and I really try to get down to very singular verses almost within context of the verse at large, but that might, you know, if I'm giving a talk, I try and base it on a smaller, a smaller chunk of scripture, because I think oftentimes, again, to, to not to rip on the, the proof texting, although I am, uh, the more scriptures you have, the more it does seem like you're kind of just proof texting what you're trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I would point out is right now we're talking about the giving of presentations, talks, you know, whatever. Um, but when you start having one-on-one conversations, right? Um, so, for instance, fairly recently, someone was raised Catholic is now challenging Catholic belief and has fallen away. They were asking me these questions that part of it was like, oh, the Catholic Church walked away from Scripture. Now it's emphasizing Scripture. What do I do with that? And to you have to do a lot of preamble, right? You got to go through and clear away the obstacles. And that's a lot of reason and dialogue and conversation about that. But then what you do and what I try to do is show how the themes, because they see the Old Testament and New Testament as diametrically opposed. And then the Old Testament God, oh, I hate him. And that's where most of my problems are. But the New Testament God, I got some issues with, but largely okay with. And then when you begin to develop the themes within it that unites old with new and then showing like why the, like they were talking about, well, we don't keep kosher. And I was like, right. And multiple times in the New Testament, that specifically is addressed. But even more so, in Galatians, St. Paul says, why the law, meaning the Mosaic law? Why do we have the Mosaic law? Why the law? It was added because of transgressions, right? And they'll be like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah. So the Mosaic law and all of its fullness in both the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy were not a part of God's original plan for his people. They were. It was the corrective quarantining that God put around his people to preserve their faith and keep them from being like all the other nations. Right. And the history of Israel is a history of them wanting to be like all the other nations. And when you begin to step back and see that, so you said you have the sin of the golden calf in Exodus, what do you get? You get Leviticus, the priesthood, the ceremonial laws, the purity laws. Then you have one generation later, okay, now we Levites, we're the best, we're charged with this, we know this stuff. You know, we're the gener- we're gonna raise the younger generation while the older generation dies in the desert. We're gonna school the younger ger- generation in our zealousness for the law. And then what happens? One generation later on the on the plains of Moab, Baal Peor, there the Levites are the ones committing the sin against Yahweh. And then you get the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, the second law. Why the law? It was added because of transgression. And when like you begin to show people how St. Paul is showing his fellow Jewish believers, who of, of whom he says, as to the law, I was blameless, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the most zealous among uh, anyone for my traditions of my, for the traditions of my fathers. Then you begin to see like how he interprets the law in light of Christ and why that no longer applies. It goes from being answer me this, you know, I got this and that and that, and can't wear blended clothing, <laughs> and, you know, fibers from blended, you know, cotton and all this stuff. Where's my cotton poly, poly blend T-shirt? Um, all of a sudden it becomes this deeper spiritual meaning that now it's like, oh, I need to study this more. Like I, I had this like little argue, I had a proof text argument and now some, there's something much deeper here, you know, and the new Testament is telling me this is how the old is preparing the way for the new. 
and it, it, it does. It becomes it's, it becomes exciting. It becomes like a detective story instead of an, a debate. What you'll see is in your conversations with people um, who maybe even aren't asking questions. They might maybe are not having you know disagreements or anything like that. But if you're daily steeped in scripture, it's like it informs everything you say. Scripture will come out of your mouth without you even really quoting it, and that's important to get to that point. Um, I remember like in the catechetics classes at Franciscan, Bob Rice used to call it scripture speak that like the church fathers, you know, you read them and they're, and they're not quoting scripture, but they're saying exact things out of scripture because it's so deep and present within them. Uh, you know, you all know the old verse uh, or the old uh, quote, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so it's really important, right? That if we're trying to proclaim Christ, we are steeped in the word of God and, and that we're daily just subjecting our hearts to it. Again, I'm going to go back to this again, as we've gone to it many times before. The the, the model the church uses for evangelization, for catechesis, is, is Mary, is the, the annunciation, right? The angel preaches the word to Mary. Mary meditates on that word and assents to it. God becomes present in her, and she communicates God to the world. This is exactly what we're talking about in this episode, that it should be a daily practice of ours, and yeah, preparing for it, we got you gave you some good practicals, preparing for an event coming up, preparing for something like that. But just the daily life of a Christian needs to be fed by the Word of God. And in that in that way, when we're out there uh, trying to evangelize and being open to the to the Holy Spirit, moving people into our lives, we'll be ready uh, to give a reason for the hope that is within us because it is within us. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to wrap up this conversation after this brief break when we talk about the Take Fives, which are going to be a lot of fun. I love nerding out with these ones. Uh, and uh, when we come back, I want to encourage you. Listen, we have received a ton of emails Oh, lately, my gosh. So many emails. And they're so great because we're running out of show ideas. Uh, <laughs> but, no, one of the cool things I want to report is last week's episode on evangelizing atheists and atheism in a Catholic school context uh, the woman who wrote that wrote back saying, oh, my goodness, the prayer that we were praying together was the memorare, and that's what you recommended your audience to do. So, listen, keep keep praying. Keep praying for the conversion of the students and the hearts of these students in this Catholic school. Memor a memorare a day keeps the devil away. So uh, <laughs> send us your email at eksb uh, at ascensionpress.com. Or every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. Try those. If, if some a couple people said it got bounced back, I don't know why, but um, just double check that at ascensionpress.com. And we would love to talk about it on an upcoming show. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes. Nothing uh, gets the word out about the show more. And you know, you can pay us the highest compliment of sharing an episode with someone at your parish, with your pastor. Nothing that we do here is meant to call out, shame, humiliate Catholics who aren't evangelizing. This is, this is clergy <laughs> approved, right? This is clergy approved. So uh, we'll talk more right after the break. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. 
I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the great adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. And we are going to discuss our take fives. These are five things we give you to be utterly practical that you can put into practice today and begin to work upon. Uh, Dave is going to get us kick started. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I want to just kind of get across to you is right that Christianity enculturates, right? That that's that's it's an important part of our faith. We talked about that early on in the episodes. That enculturation is an important part, and and that God can communicate Himself through other ways. And so what I want you to do is just kind of step out of the box here for your weekly meditation, and I want you to find like a Catholic painting. And I want you to use that of a, of a, of a scripture, you know, of a scripture story, a story from the Bible, a painting, a Catholic painting. Uh, and I want you to use that for your meditation this week, just to, to take a look at that painting. The one I always have uh, right above my desk here is the call of St. Matthew. And, and it's just like, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful painting. And, um, and it has, you know, just, it uses all the incredible light and everything like that. And it's a, a wonderful thing. And I sit here all the time and I meditate on that that simple scripture verse of the call of Matthew, which is just a few lines, but this entire painting speaks so much more than that. So find a painting of a scripture story uh, that, you know, that you can meditate on this week. I just imagine your coworkers walking by and it's like, Dave's staring at the wall again. They do that all the time. <laughs> they literally do that all the time. <laughs> and in no way is that weird. Um, yeah. So number two, uh, it's just study time, right? So he went prayer, meditate on that artwork. I want to talk to you about a book called A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Scott Hahn. I'm telling you, if you slowly read chapter by chapter and have the Bible with you, it is an excellent resource, and it's newly updated, to help you understand the big picture of Scripture. He talks about covenant theology, but by breaking it down into its smaller covenants, he walks you through the history of each of those covenants, and you begin to see not only how it applies to my life, but how the old is revealed in the new, and the new is concealed in the old. And by doing this and seeing this and walking through this, when you start studying Scripture on your own and reading it and praying through it, it connects you immediately to the broader story. And that's the most important thing. So get the book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises. Number three, we always ask you to uh, to join us in intercessory prayer. I, I don't know if you are having the same experience on social media lately, but uh, our brothers and sisters in Africa are are in danger, right? We're we're, we're witnessing a, a massive martyrdom going on uh, because of the Islamists over there in in Africa. And in the last week, I've seen probably four or five pictures of priests who have been martyred. And so I'm just asking you to to join with Gomer and I in praying for those priests. Uh, and for all the Christians there, that God would give them the courage to stand up for their faith, and and if it be if it need be that they even uh, give their life for their faith, uh, but most of all that God would just protect them uh, from all harm and from all the ideology that they're up against. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Number four is community, of course. And we're going to ask that once you get your book, Father Keeps His Promises, sit down with one other person at least and talk about this with them, right? So get a, maybe a little Bible study group and read through and discuss it with one other person, and that can help you navigate these waters. Number five, uh, you know, I, I this was it was always a goal of mine to memorize the Bible when I was younger. I always wanted to memorize the Bible, and I remember I'd read it that St. Thomas Aquinas had the whole Bible memorized, so I really desperately wanted to. And the first verse I, I memorized was the prologue to John's Gospel. M- scripture memorization brings with it a, a whole bunch of spiritual blessings, okay? Uh, even even things like healing of the mind and, and of the emotions and things like that. Scripture memorization is an important part of the Christian life. And and I think that it, it should be something that's, you know, not just from your grade school days where you memorize one a week, but it should be part of your life now. Uh, so what we're asking you to do is memorize a scripture verse. If you don't ha- already have it memorized, memorize John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You'll recognize it right away. It's, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, dot, dot, dot. Uh, the, uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful verse, and I think that it would provide so much time of meditation, just having that memorized, and so much fruit from that. Uh, so again, memorize John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Yeah, and I want to close with an excellent quote from Pope Benedict back in like 2005, I think. Yeah, 2005, uh, talking about Lectio Divina, that great um, spiritual practice that the Benedictines kind of codified, but um, all the church fathers did in one form or another. Uh, Lectio Divina is a way of praying through Scripture. So he said this, Assiduous reading of sacred Scripture accompanied by prayer makes that intimate dialogue possible in which, through reading, one hears God speaking, and through prayer, one responds with a confident opening of the heart. If this practice is promoted with efficacy, I am convinced that it will produce a new spiritual springtime in the church. That was Pope Benedict. It was, uh, he met with over 400 people that are experts on scripture and the life of the church, and that was the, the title of the event held at Castle Gandolfo. And his talk, can you imagine that? Like, you got all these experts, and it's like, well, the Pope's going to go first. His talk was on how this can happen today, how we need it to happen today in the life of the church. If it's promoted with efficacy, I love that line. So um, if you Pope Benedict's recommending it, it's been a part of our church all the way ex- explicitly since origin, church father origin, you know that it can do some pretty amazing things today. So thank you all for joining us. This has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your Catholic podcast on globalization. God bless.